Okay, and welcome to Fast Jet Performance. I'm Tim Davies. This, I believe, is episode 11. We are cantering along. The post today, then, is how fighter pilots deal with chains and regulation. It's a brief eight to ten minutes. There are a couple of videos on the post on the website that might be of interest. Uh, one is of uh, an air combat maneuvering sortie. I filmed that one and I put music behind it, but I also did a clean version where it's just the pilots' voices, just the instructor's narrative. And then the other video I, you probably haven't seen before, I put it up last night, and it's a bit of a parody on a Shire Labouf meme that's going on at the moment where he gets really into um, telling people that they can do it. Any very positive message there. So the post then today, how fighter pilots deal with change and regulation. It's a familiar story to us all. We're struggling with heavy workload when along comes the boss and hands us yet another task. We roll our eyes and accept it. We might even rebel a little and let our boss know how busy we are. And we might even believe him when he says that he understands and continues with, don't rush it, Friday will do. If your workplace is anything like mine, then you're probably having to do more with less. Our bosses are output driven and they have to be. And they will attempt to maximize the output whilst minimizing the costs. Employee salaries are normally the largest cost for any business, which is why when times are hard, jobs are the first thing to go. Recently, when UK airline Monarch transitioned from being a traditional charter carrier to a low-cost airline, they cut 30% of their staff and reduced the pay of those who remained. Leaning processes are a key management tool, more so in hard times, it might seem, and are deemed necessary for a company to remain competitive. All well and good, you might think, but how do we know when it's gone too far? In UK military aviation, we operate under the Military Aviation Authority, or the MAA, and having faced a series of recent financial cuts, find ourselves having to think up innovative processes to do more with less whilst under this increased regulatory framework. But before we talk about how the regulatory effect uh, was on an air combat sortie, let's talk about banks. Banks are a classic example of the effect of inadequate regulation, and this has not only been detrimental to their reputations, but to the wallets of their shareholders too. Last year, Lloyds was fined £218 million by the Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA, and US regulators for its part in the rigging of international banking lending rates. And today, they have been fined a record £117 million by the City Watchdog for Mishandling Payment Protection Insurance, or PPI, complaints. Lloyd's Banking Group state their values as putting customers first, keeping it simple and making a difference together. So when they first missold PPI to their customers through complicated processes that elevated their share price, I guess that we can all agree they did indeed make a difference. The military is not like the banking sector and when we use words like respect, integrity, service and ethos, we actually mean them. The Military Aviation Authority is an independent organisation responsible for regulating air safety across defence. The MEA was established in response to the recommendations made by Mr Justice Haddon Cave in his review of a Nimrod incident in 2006, which called for a radical overhaul of military airworthiness regulation. Now, I have worked directly under the two-star who runs the MEA whilst working on a service inquiry into the death of an RAF Red Arrows aerobatic team pilot and friend, John Egan. I strongly believe in the necessity of the MAA and of external regulators to oversee localised operational procedure, but I am also necessarily cautious and aware of the secondary effects that an increase in regulation can cause. I used to run a team of 12 pilots whose job it was to standardise and regulate the flying activities of the other 50 pilots on the squadron, including themselves. Some of my peers didn't want to have their teams externally regulated and would have liked to have done it themselves, but... As a small and professional unit, we understood that external regulation and validation was both very necessary and appropriate. Unlike the banks that have now have 
regulation forced upon them because of their reckless and criminal activities, the RF welcomes regulation because we know that it saves lives. It saves lives because it makes certain that we are operating within the well-defined boundaries of acceptable and considered practices. But it does come at a cost, and that cost is change. The MEA vision statement is a world-class military air safety regulatory and assurance model that is proactive, innovative, modern, efficient, and effective. As pilots, we don't particularly like change, and as many businesses also find, it makes us anxious and fearful of what is to follow. In my business, change means that I'm going to have to learn new procedures, drills, and checks. I'll also have to read and learn more courseware and syllabus content and develop processes to allow me to teach at Airborne. The truth is that as pilots, we also recognise the need for change and know that without it, our processes will become stagnant and outdated. A quote here, it is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, it is the one most adaptable to change. Now that was adapted from sources writing on Darwin's On the Origin of Species. He didn't actually say it himself, apparently. Took ages to find that out. Right. Problems can arise when management, contractors, partners or authorities still attempt to undertake the same tasking and retain the same output whilst operating under a more restrictive system. One example concerns the operating of aircraft in the airspace that is designated as the Valley Areas of Tactical Activity, or VARTA, which is used for the majority of all hawk flying at RF Valley. These areas stretch from RF Valley to 70 miles south, covering almost the whole of Wales, and extend from Shrewsbury out to 20 miles from the coast of Ireland. The VARTAs, including a danger area that we sometimes also use, cover almost 5,000 square miles of airspace, from 10,000 foot to the upper controlled airspace at flight level 285, or 28,500 feet. Or a bit higher if we require that, we have to pre-book it. In the days of old, the airspace was divided up into just two areas, uh, Varta East and Varta West, and the delineation for the two was um, being aligned through the centre of RF Valley. Now, when I was an instructor on the Hawk T1, I would take my students into the Varta and we would share it with other Hawks that might be nearby doing other training events such as general handling, or GH, uh, stalling, spinning, arrows, anything like that. We would all be on the same radio frequency and we'd all inform each other where we were so we could deconflict as best as possible. It was a chat frequency, if you will, and it was actually called a chat frequency. A typical call and response would be uh, from me, Valuable Players, Victor 87, um, a single Hawk, GH, over Porthmatic, 10 to 20,000 for 20 minutes. The reply from uh, someone else would be Victor 87, uh, Sunburst Formation, we're a flood of three on the northern Klim Peninsula at 15,000 for 10 minutes. Now, we maintained our separation from other aircraft through these informative calls and a robust lookout scam. Although we sometimes had an odd near-miss or a close aboard, generally the system was pretty robust. Today, we have MAA regulations that provide the station commander with guidance for better practices. And when the MAA regulations were published in 2010, action was taken to make our flying safer. As the MAA regulatory articles point out, though, that if there is something that uh, can be done to enhance flight safety, then we must actually do it. And because local commanders now have to legally hold the risk to life within their areas of responsibility, they will have to do it, and rightly so. As a result of this guidance, uh, we have redeveloped the airspace into six individual VARTAs and three general handling areas, uh, which runs in a corridor between the two. And this allows for the allocation of aircraft to each VARTA so as to deconflict them from each other geographically so that they're not solely relying on lookout. As the risk owners, duty holders, and this is the station commander at RF Valley, shall always remain accountable for risk of life within their AOR. That's from the regulator article 1210, if you're going to have a late nighttime read. 
Okay, the Hawk T1 doesn't have any collision warning system such as TCAS, and it was felt that it would be better to have all aircraft talking to an air traffic control agency and holding an air traffic service outside of controlled airspace, which is called a ATSOCAS, when operating in the Vartas. Now, we still have to be extra vigilant, however, because the sorties we fly are still being flown in Class G airspace, which can be used by anyone at any time, whether they're civilian or military. The issue with this is that having a Varta structure in Class G airspace can give the user a false sense of security, especially the new VARTA structure that we have. And holding an air traffic service can only add to this. Now I've flown this airspace for seven years in both T1s and T2s, and today I have to constantly remind myself to prioritize my lookout as these new measures seem to promote its redundancy. Now, air traffic or the ground controlled intercept controllers that we use uh, will routinely give us a block of airspace to operate in, normally 10 to 28,000 or 10,000 to 28,000 feet, which allows us to dynamically maneuver whilst holding an air traffic service, and they will inform us of any nearby aircraft, or they should do. Uh, but the problem is an advanced radar sortie starts with three aircraft, and they're split over 50 miles. And in an air combat maneuvering sortie, or an ACM sortie, we can have three Hawks, and they can take up about five miles of airspace laterally and 8,000 foot vertically in their maneuvering. So it's not easy for an air traffic controller to accurately predict flight paths and give timely traffic information in this case. On these dynamic sorties, the cockpit is a very busy place, and sometimes an air traffic call is met with... Uh, standby from an instructor who is probably inverted and genuinely cannot work out which way uh, a contact that's pointed out as being five miles west of you southbound at 12,000 actually is. So your head sort of explodes at this point. Now routinely I see my pilots operating more as airspace managers than flying instructors as they try to control their formation in order to make the sortie a success. They become exceptionally proficient at this over time but at the expense of their instruction. They can be talking with an air traffic or GCI on their primary radio. They're communicating within the formation on their secondary radio and teaching the student over the intercom in the cockpit. It's a very busy cockpit indeed. and Radio calls are routinely stepped on or transmitted over each other. Sometimes, and it is always when you're at the limit of your capacity and trying to get the student to complete some complicated evolution, a pop-up contact is called by air traffic. Normally it is the Cardiff to Anglesey Lynx Air Jetstream that will meander through your fight area at 14,000 feet, trying to save fuel by not wishing to be below the Vartas and in the denser lower air. Normally one of the instructors will see it, uh, call it, uh, and, and say, knock it off, which will end the fight, and we'll just burn a bit of gas as we float around watching this twin prop slowly progressing its way towards RAF Valley. The truth is that they have every right to fly through our fight area as with anyone. It's class G airspace. It's not sanitized, but it's another variable that the instructor has to deal with. So we can see that regulation is necessary, but it is how we work into our current processes that define how successfully we can continue operating. And often this means that to comply with the regulations, we must sometimes end a teaching serial early as a four ship of typhoons pass nearby our play area, or we'll move our fight position to allow some F-15s to operate 20 miles to the west. Now, in extremists, this could mean that we have to come back home and fly the sortie another day. Uh, here's a quote then from Heraclitus. My Greek isn't brilliant. The only thing that is constant is change. How very true. Right, this is not a bad thing because as the pilots who fly these sorties understand, change will sometimes mean that they won't be able to achieve the same output as before. And this is the key that managers need to embrace. It is also important that we accept change as a positive constant and embrace outright adherence to the regulations because they are there for a reason. If only the banks had followed that last piece of advice. 
And that's it. Thanks for listening. Again, it's not the most interesting subject, but what I'm trying to get across to you here is that we are still trying to deal with the outcome of 2010. And it's very difficult when the regulations change um, to be able to be efficient in providing that education, that service that we used to provide. And my main argument here is that we shouldn't try and provide the same service. We should recognize the fact that times have changed. It's it's sometimes the contractors we work with or the authorities we operate underneath or whether it be the chief of the air staff down, whoever it is, um, that sometimes maybe isn't being fed the correct story about the restrictions that we may have on what we're doing. Now, as operators, we do everything we can to make that work as best we can. And of course, what we can't do is push flight safety, which is why sometimes we have to terminate the sortie and come home. But there's always that pressure on the instructor where he doesn't complete a sortie. Uh, and that's really on the squadron what I try and stop i try and get the guys to recognize that it's uh, there isn't any pressure there just come back home but unfortunately the pressure sometimes comes in from uh, people that you tend to you know be involved with or you're working with or who, who indeed have a financial incentive to uh, get these courses done and that maybe is the problem with privatization of essential public sector services maybe another post who knows crikey i'll tell you what i do i will put the um one of the videos on here then I'll put the one about uh, Shia LaBeouf, who is an actor who recently in Cambridge did a whole load of green screen acting. And during that, he had a bit of a, a rant, a bit of a motivational rant. And that's what I've, uh, there's a lot of memes going around where people put them in Batman movies and things like that. And what I did is I put it in one of the flying videos. The flying videos of some air combat, you may well have seen it before. Um, but I will, and then I've got some people pretending to be air traffic and some people pretending to be um, uh, the instructor in the airplane. And this is the sort of pressures that we operate under. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure I play that now and put it on this audio so you don't have to necessarily go to the website. You'll get that. You'll get the audio from this. So thanks for your support. Uh, I'll try and get something special for the 12th episode. Uh, enjoy the, uh, the video here, the audio of the video, and I'll see you next time. Take care. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! Dervish Lenswanek, we have a sent flight training on the line. They want to speak to you. Swanick Dervish 1, Roger that can you tell them that I'm a little busy right now and I'll talk to them when I'm on the ground. Dervish Swanick, I'm afraid I can't. It's about the sortie you are flying now they want you to fly the next two sets from the next sortie to get ahead of the line. God damn it, Swanick yeah, are they on this frequency? Yep, they're listening. Ascent this is Dervish 1. We're having difficulty with getting the sortie completed because the syllabus you wrote put in too many runs and we just don't have the fuel for it. I'm not going to be able to complete any extra runs, I'm sorry. Ascent, are you there? Do it! Just do it! Oh good, they've employed Sheila Booth to motivate us, this is going to suck. Ascent, I know I told you yesterday that we could probably get it done today but I'd be dreaming if I said we could do those other runs. Do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday is set tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Just do it! This guy is a freaking idiot. Some people dream success while you're gonna wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible! Damn it look, Ascent. I have to get back to work here or we're going to have to stop and come home. You should get to the point where anyone else would quit, and you're not gonna stop there! No! What are you waiting for? Look I can't make fuel I'm not lying to you. Do it! Just do it! Yes you can! Just do it! Dervish terminate.